Our Bible reading for today is Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, on page 1052. Luke 18, 18 to 30. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, as we read the Bible, just pray, pray this wouldn't be a, a fruitless exercise, Father. We have reason to hope that these words were written down for us and people around the world, that you intend to bless us in our lives through understanding them and you would intend to bring glory to your name because of our lives. And we pray in confidence that you would do just that this Sabbath day through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember the morning I went to buy it. I looked at my bank balance, which in, in those days was uh, on a cash machine. And um, I thought, ooh, buying this thing today is going to take almost all the money I have, almost all of my savings. It was easily the most expensive thing I'd ever bought at that stage of my life. And at some level, I, I did a mental calculation. I thought, is this worth it? So I went out and bought this thing. Would anyone like to guess what thing I was buying that day? It was indeed an engagement ring. Yeah, exactly. You are romantic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought a diamond engagement ring um, for Sarah, who became my fiance, who became my wife. Now, it took all my money, basically, at that time. Um, I like to think Sarah would have said yes if I'd gone down to Green Lanes and spent 20 quid from one of those jewellers and got a, a little, little thing. But um, as it was, I thought, no, I, I intend to spend a lot on this because it's a token, it's a marker. I want her to understand, I want everyone to see how much this means to me. I'm willing to give up basically everything I have 
but I don't consider myself losing. I consider myself gaining, right? I, I, this is gain for me, to gain her. And it's not an economic transaction if you fall in love, is it? But you see what I'm saying? It, it, I, I lose a lot, I gain more. And in the Bible today, Jesus says to this rich young man, I want you to sell everything you've got. And he goes, I can't, I couldn't possibly. The transaction doesn't compute in my head. That's loss for me. And Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples. I want to dwell with you on that for a few moments. He hasn't understood the game. It is, it is gain, the kingdom of God, to, to follow me, to gain treasure in heaven. So much gain, but he can't see it. It's like a man who sees the opportunity to marry someone amazing and says, that's ah, too much money for the ring. Some things are very costly, but it's worth it for what you gain. I mean, if you do up a house, it's very costly in terms of time and effort, but you gain somewhere amazing to live, don't you? If you raise children, it's very costly in terms of sacrifice, but you gain human beings in your family. If you build a career, that's thousands of hours of work, but you gain, don't you? You gain a reputation. Hopefully you do good in the world. You, you gain. It's worth it. I summarize it this way today. To gain the kingdom of God, you must be prepared to leave everything you have. A bit unsettling, isn't it? Just beginning to get under my skin. Hang on a minute. Um, uh, why are you saying that, Jesus? Why, why are you saying I have to leave everything? Well, we'll talk about what he means. But yes, I am going to say you need to be prepared to leave everything you have to gain Jesus. And you gain more than you lose. We're working sequentially through Luke's gospel, and uh, here we are in chapter 18. We started out chapter 1 a little while ago. And have you noticed chapter 18 is lots about the kingdom, and I do think particularly it hangs together beautifully. A couple of weeks ago, we did the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector near the start of chapter 18. And do you remember, Jesus makes up this story. He says, look, it's like two characters, the proud Pharisee and the humble tax collector, and he's commending the humble and resisting the proud. And then he gives you, you get two real-life stories from Luke. The little children that we looked at last week and in home groups, they are the humble ones, right? And then this week, the next story that follows, the next thing we're chosen um, that is selected is a story about a proud person. So you get the idea? Jesus paints the picture, the two possibilities, and then you get the, the humble example of the children, and then you get the proud example of the rich young man that we read today. I think this, this real-life character who really did approach Jesus, the rich ruler, he, he might have been a Pharisee. I mean, Luke elsewhere uses the same word of ruler as he does for the people in the Sanhedrin. So I think it's quite possible that this is literally a proud Pharisee who approaches Jesus. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but um, in my life, money has this deep, deep hold on me, like, like tendrils that go down and wrap around my heart. And... Um, when I was growing up, my big thing was I wanted to be rich. So I really identify with this young man. I just, my, my, my schooling, my dreaming, my university degree, it was all aimed, it was all targeted at amassing a lot of money. And thankfully, Jesus stepped in and intervened before, before I got there. Um, he brought me to Jesus 21 years ago, and I can say I haven't, I haven't been sad about that. I don't consider myself a very wealthy man now, but I'm, I'm glad because I gained and maybe, maybe it's the same for you, or it could be. There are two sides to today's passage, really, two, two conversations, really, and I've put them on, in speech bubbles on your 
sermon sheet. So if you have access to that, you'll see it there. Uh, The first speech bubble says, hey, rich ruler, give up everything for me. Verses 18 to 25. And then the, the second half of the conversation when he's gone away is, hey, Jesus, we have given up everything for you. That's the disciples talking, verses 26 to 30. So um, I don't, they ended up at the bottom of the sheet. That's my fault for not spotting it. But there are two headings and our, our two halves of the conversation. Firstly then, hey, rich ruler, give up everything for me. And that's the gist of what Jesus is saying, verses 18 to 25. You might like to follow with me again or listen carefully. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Just pause there. You notice he's asking, what what must I do? That's that's a works mentality that we talked about. He's seeking to be justified by works. What can I do? Jesus' reply, why do you call me good? It it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? If you're used to worshipping Jesus as God the Son incarnate. But I don't think he's denying his godness there. If he was, he might say, why do you call me good? I'm not God. But he doesn't actually say that. I think what he's doing is trying to prick the guy's self-confidence and arrogance. You know, he's sort of using flattery because he's self-righteous and Jesus is righteous. And so, you know, so his worldview goes. But I think what Jesus is doing is refusing to fall for that flattery. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Recognize what Jesus is quoting? Ten Commandments? Yeah? What is jarring is not that the man knows them, but his utter confidence. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Yep, next question. (laughs) Hang on, my friend. Um, Actually, as Jesus says elsewhere, like in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not that easy to keep the law. I don't think you've understood the heart of all this. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What's Jesus doing here? He actually names something that's not part of the Ten Commandments. Do you notice that? He lists, what, five, five commandments, and then he says, right, but what, actually you're lacking one thing, so here's an extra commandment for you to do. That's a bit curious. You might say it's a bit rogue. Hang on, Jesus, you've just introduced a fresh commandment, like an 11th commandment that the young man didn't know about. What are you doing? That doesn't seem fair. What I think he's doing is he's circling back to the first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. So he's using this as a test of the man's um, faith and idolatry you know, um, if you can sell everything you've got and follow me right now I will, I will accept that you've kept the commandments if you can't then you've fallen at the first hurdle it gives rise to this impossible image you know this image of a camel imagine a camel standing here I've never seen a camel in real life have you? it must be massive I imagine way taller than me and huge and it could mow me down with its big hooves imagine a camel the biggest thing that, that was in everyday Middle Eastern life in that generation going through the smallest thing that they had in their life in that generation the eye of a needle can you do that? can you Squash it? Can you put it in a blender? And could you, could you sort of somehow manute? No. 
No, that doesn't work. It's an impossible image. So what I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus reckons, is it's impossible for a rich person to keep the commandments, even with all their privileges, and to enter the kingdom of God. Why is Jesus asking him to do this? Why lay on this young man who seems religious? He's kind of got, he's, he's sorely on a good trajectory. Why is Jesus asking him to sell everything he's got and give to the poor? Is it wrong to have wealth? No. We've said that before, haven't we, when Jesus has talked about money. It's not wrong to have wealth. But Jesus is interested in the man's heart. Should we just back up for a moment? Verse 22, this is the heart of what Jesus says to the man. So this, this is, I think, where the solution lies. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And can, can someone out loud finish the sentence for me? You will have treasure in heaven. See that? And then someone else finished the next sentence. Then come, follow. I didn't hear it. Me. Yeah, you get that? So this is, I think this is the, the gain that Jesus is talking about. So this is the key part of all. You will have, if you give to the, if you sell everything you've got, give to the poor, detach your heart from idols and come after me, you will have A, treasures in heaven, B, me. And that is gain. How so? Well, Jesus is out for the rich man's good. He actually wants him to gain. He's not trying to uh, pour water on his bonfire. A, treasure in heaven. Well, this is actually never fully explained in the Bible. I've been riffling the pages this week trying to think, does, does it ever get explained? But it is a definite promise. There is such a thing as treasure in heaven. It is bound to be fabulous. And I think treasures in heaven could very legitimately involve material rewards in the new creation, you know, a place in God's renewed creation, exploring the new Himalayas and seeing the, the new cities. I think it could involve responsibilities, you know, being, being given things to do for God that just bring you joy and you're good at. I think it could involve responsibility of judging cases, where it, which is alluded to elsewhere in the Bible. And I think it could involve just being told, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did the right thing. Treasures in heaven. I don't know exactly what they are. I'll I'll level with you about that, but I want some. (laughs) Really want some treasures in heaven on my account, and I hope you want it too. It does mean, of course, that the the most penniless Christian that you come across in this world could be the biggest spiritual billionaire. They've amassed the greatest account ready for um, the, the second advent of Jesus Christ. So treasures in heaven. And B, Jesus says, and this, I wish, I hope this won't get lost on you. He says, then come follow me. Easy to miss that little word, isn't it? I want you to sell everything you've got. Be assured that you'll have some treasure in heaven. And then come and be with me. And I think surely that is the greatest thing. I think you, it's not too great a stretch to say the greatest treasure in heaven is Jesus. He's literally the one sitting at the right hand of God. He is the human being who God has trusted to judge the universe. He's the perfect one. He's the the bridegroom. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the one in whom are vested all the hopes of the nations. He's the lover of your soul who adores you. He's willing to lay down his life for you. And you get to go and be with him. Then come and follow him. In The Hobbit, there is... A gemstone. Now, there's this great mountain of treasure, like literally mounds of gold and silver and jewels and armor, um, guarded by a dragon. But there's one gemstone called the Arkenstone, and that's it. Just everything else is just somehow dimmer compared to the Arkenstone. And 
Jesus is rather like the ark and stone of creation. You know, I, I, I love all the things God has made, but I love him the most. He is the most splendid, the most perfect. He is the one in whom, as I turn him, I just see all the splendor of God's goodness. Here's a test for you. Okay, so I'm saying, if like the rich young man, Jesus is saying, you must be prepared to leave anything, but it will be gain, treasure in heaven, following Christ. Here's a test. If you got to heaven, got to the afterlife, and laid before you was all the treasure, all the things you could possibly dream of, all the food that you think is delicious, the best drinks, all the people that you want to be there and are overjoyed to spend time with, unending things to do, work, yes, but the kind of work that really fulfills you, travels and exploration, and Jesus wasn't there. Would you enjoy it? Someone told that to me a few years ago and it really got, un- got to the heart of it all because I thought, huh, all that good stuff but without the Arkenstone, without the great treasure, without Jesus Christ there as the ruler and reigning creator of it all who loved me and bought it for me, all of that. So if you wouldn't be satisfied, even if you had all that stuff, you're like Peter and the disciples who are coming in a minute and Jesus would say, yeah, keep following me, I'll make sure you gain. If you have just an inkling of that attitude, you won't be disappointed. So, that's our first speech bubble. Hey, rich ruler, give up everything for me. Let's turn to the second one, which I summarize as, hey, Jesus, we have given up everything for you, verses 26 to 30. Those who heard this, verse 26, asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's just pause for a moment there because that is profound. I was out door knocking um, a few weeks ago with the team and I met a guy just near here and um, I got talking to him and he said, oh, it's great that you're here because I've been reading a novel recently and it made me want to read the Bible. I said, what? (laughs) This is not my usual response, but fantastic. I said, what's the novel? He said, it's called The Stranger in the Lifeboat by Mitch Albom. And yeah, I finished that novel like yesterday and I'd really want to read the Bible. Have you got a Bible? I said, here you go, my friend. It's a good day to be a pastor. Uh, And uh, um, we we carry on talking about it, me and him. I went away and read the novel myself because I was so fascinated by it. What what novel in the modern world is making you want to read the Bible? Can I give you a quick summary? It's it's an amazing story. It's the story of a, a, a luxury yacht sailing in the Atlantic owned by a billionaire. And um, they're having this this great party. It's kind of the the party of a lifetime and all the media are covering this party. But suddenly the yacht sinks in the cold waters of the Atlantic very mysteriously and suddenly one night. And within about 15 minutes, everyone's in the water. So the billionaire owner of the luxury yacht in the Atlantic, his celebrity friends swimming in the water. Also the hairdresser from the ship and the deckhand and the cleaner. They're all fighting for their life in the water all of a sudden. It's a fascinating story about wealth. 15 minutes before, you were a billionaire. Now, you're the same as me. And then this life raft appears, which is strange because no one had time to prepare the lifeboats, but there's this stranger in the lifeboat and he's, he's waving a light in this orange life raft and saying, over here, come and be saved. Over here, everybody. And those who managed to climb into the lifeboat discover this mysterious character who, who is called the Lord and no one can explain it because um, he wasn't on the boat nobody knows who he is but here he is offering a life raft to anyone who cares to accept it 
funny because it's, it's no good at that point, is it? If you've got possessions, it's no good being a billionaire and saying, I'd love to be safe, thank you very much, can I just bring my fast cars? No, you just cling onto the rough. You need both your hands to cling onto this. Can I just bring my iPhone and, and all my, my stuff? No, you can't. Just, you have to get into the raft now. It's like that with Jesus. You know, I, this, this, model, this novel evidently is bleeding Jesus into its story because Jesus is the Lord. He comes mysteriously into the lifeboat and says, would anyone like to be saved? It is impossible for you to be saved without this life raft. You will die. And as a human race, you know, we will die in the flood tide of justice. We can't raise ourselves above the level of God's holiness. So you have to be saved through Jesus Christ. And it, it does you no good to bring wealth to that conversation. Can I just bring? No. I've got this stuff in my hands. No. Would you like to be saved? Yes, please. You actually get the life raft spelled out for you. I'm not just making it up from a, a novel that I've read. Verse 31, if you see that in your Bibles, just, um, just below, it's the next thing that we get told. Verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus is the life raft to cling to. There is no room to bring your possessions. They'll only hinder you. Cling to the life raft and you will find it is possible to be saved. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Oh, and brothers and sisters, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. You, you see, you've got your speech bubbles there on your sheet. You've got, on the one hand, Jesus making really high demands of this young man. On the other hand, you've got the, the difficulty of people following after Jesus. But I, I imagine Jesus just standing in the middle of those two, saying, I've given up everything for you. Bef before, before you even had a thought about giving up everything for me, I've, I've already done it for you. I've laid down my life for you. I've made it all possible for you. Come and be saved and you'll find it's wonderful. And then you've got Peter. So Peter's there in verse 28. Um, he's saying, he's, I love Peter. He's a very outspoken disciple. Um, I thank God for him. Oh, Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. Some people think Peter is being rather proud here. You know, it depends on the way you say it. Oh, Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. I don't, I don't read it that way. It didn't make sense of the context to me. I think it's more like, we have left all we have to follow you. And that explains why Jesus has a, a positive response to Peter rather than a rebuke. And look at verse 29, would you? This is where we'll, we'll come into land. And if you do go away with one promise, then I'd love you to go away with these verses today. 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. It's a promise. So God's invitation to you is, will you leave everything to gain Jesus? That's the bottom line for us all, but it comes down to this reason. Um, you will never, I don't think you'll ever leave anything. I have no confidence of any of you forsaking anything that you think is good until you understand how wonderful Jesus is. And if you can do that, if you can see the gain in it all, then you'll be a bit like me buying an engagement ring. Whoa, this is expensive, but oh yeah, I stand to gain. You know, and you'll, you'll, you'll see the gain in the whole transaction. 
I don't necessarily think you have to leave everything, right? So I don't think you have to go home today and put your house on the market and, and say, Pastor, I did it. I, I've, I've sold everything. Um, however, I do think you have to be prepared to leave everything. You have to do the calculation. Your heart has to be detached, a bit like if you, you imagine your heart's got a Velcro on it. You've got to unvelcro it from the things of this world and attach it to Jesus, who is the greatest treasure. Anything else is idolatry. I'll give you an example. I was preaching a few weeks ago on being a loser for the kingdom of God. Some of you remember that sermon, that passage from a few weeks ago. After the service, I noticed that on our YouTube broadcast, someone had left a comment which doesn't happen very often. By the way, anyone watching on YouTube, it's very encouraging if you leave me a comment um, and, and the rest of the church can see it too. It, it was Mark Raffier, who's a, some of you know him. He was a member of our church until he recently had to move away for family reasons to another part of the UK. He's an Iranian Christian who um, came to know the Lord out of a Muslim background. His comment said, I used to be favored in my family and friends. However, since I became a Christian, I lost all respect. I have no regrets because I found most precious and valuable thing, the joy of being follower of Christ. Hmm. There is a member of our church who knows the cost. I feel I've, I've, I've lost all the respect of my family and friends and who can also speak to the gain. I feel like I've gained... No, I'm not sad. I've gained the most precious treasure in the world. And I know there are plenty of others in our church who haven't had that particular circumstance thrust upon them, but who have left a lot to come after Jesus. And they would say, I am, I'm glad. It's been gained for me. What might it mean for you today? Jesus presents a list of things in verse 29. He says, home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children. So just work through that list for a moment before we finish. I want to get as practical as possible with you. Can you imagine leaving your home for the sake of the kingdom of God? I know that might sound extreme, but um, imagine a totalitarian state suddenly takes control in the UK and they don't like you being a Christian. That happens in some people's country. And you are not welcome to worship God freely in this country anymore. Can you imagine what that would do? That would, I think that might force you to leave your home and your current address and go to another country or find somewhere else to live. Can you imagine leaving your wife or your husband for the sake of the kingdom of God? Now, please understand carefully here, I'm not suggesting you separate or divorce from your covenantally bound wife or husband. Um, but I think what this, this means is for ministry reasons, could you imagine spending time away from your spouse like we know Peter was married for instance from elsewhere in the Bible and yet he also spent lots of time traveling around so I think what Jesus has in mind here is Peter saying we've left everything we had to follow you so he just literally left his wife in another town so he can be a disciple of Christ doing some ministry with Christ that might have been unthinkable before why would I bring that level of disruption upon my marriage or upon my family well in the right context with a ministry mindset with the agreement of your spouse it does become gain, actually, to serve the Lord. Maybe you feel like you haven't got a wife or a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
You've chosen to stay single at the moment until a godly and suitable Christian comes your way rather than take up the other offers of romance and pleasure that might be available to you. If that's you, then I think you are more like Peter and the disciples than you know. You are more encouraging than you know. And I admire you immensely because you are saying, it seems to me, I would rather have Jesus than that relationship. Actually, that that cheap relationship that's being offered to me is not as valuable to me as this treasure. And the world around you may be saying, but you must have that. You you must have a relationship. You, You must have sex. And you might be effectively saying, No, I must have Christ. Can you imagine leaving your brothers or sisters or parents for the sake of the kingdom of God? There's something. I was listening to a sermon recently by John Piper, who's an American pastor, and he talks about his church in America where they they send off quite a lot of missionaries over the years, it it sounds like. And, um, you know, one by one or two by two, these missionaries might go, and often they're reasonably young. And they have these commissioning farewell services where at at John Piper's church they get together and they send off the missionaries and pray for them. And he says the parents often come of the the young missionaries and sometimes they're angry. And they, they come to me afterwards and they say, what are you doing? Why are you sending my son, my daughter off to die in the jungle or to, you know, to, to give up their life and their career. Why, how can you do this to my family? And John Piper, do you know what he says to the parent? Gently, he says, it was more dangerous for you to bring up your child in America, surrounded by wealth, threatened with greed, than it is for them to go after Jesus in that jungle. It is, it is more dangerous, Jesus says, for you to bring them up the way you've done it than for them to go there, obviously going after Christ. And for some Christians, of course, they do leave brothers and sisters and parents who they love very much, but for the sake of the kingdom. He says, can you imagine leaving children for the sake of the kingdom of God? Again, please don't misunderstand. I don't think that means abandon your children and uh, that that will be a a godly thing to do. It's, It's not, if you read it on the surface of it. But for the sake of the kingdom of God, can you imagine bringing some ministry disruption into your family? Can you imagine um, not taking them traveling every weekend so that they might spend their Sundays in a local church? Can you imagine going out to meetings instead of spending every evening with your family? If you like, can you imagine helping other people's children so that more people might know about the kingdom of God? I could go on. I I know some of you have left drugs for the sake of the kingdom of God. I know some of you have left alcohol for the sake of the kingdom of God. I know some of you could be driving flashier cars or living in bigger houses or you could have left London. But for the joy of the kingdom of God or for serving a particular group of people, you haven't. I spoke to someone recently elsewhere in co-mission in our church planting network who is on track to be very senior in their career, it's like they've got to the number two spot in the, in the ladder of their career. And when we congratulated them on this recent promotion and said, so do you think you'll go for it? You know, can you imagine in a few years to be number one? They looked pensive and they said, no, probably not. Because I'd like to be a member of my local church all my life. And I think if I got the number one spot, they, the organization would own me fully and finally. Can you imagine forsaking something like that for the kingdom of God? I said to him as best I could, and I would like to say to you all today, 
no one who has made sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Two final comments before we go on that final sentence. Jesus says, in this age. I think that's a promise that is fulfilled in the church. So we are brothers and sisters together. We are the parents and the children of the younger and older Christians. We are the brothers and sisters of the asylum-seeking Christians who come to this country because they fled, they couldn't stay in their own country. We belong to our fellow persecuted Christian or the worn-out long-term believer who's struggling to see a future for themselves. So I think we are the answer to that prayer in this age. The church is actually a big part of God's answer as well as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the joy of knowing God. And then Jesus adds, in the age to come, eternal life. So even if you die, even if you get to your deathbed and said, but Pete said you know, it would be gain and I feel like I've lost more than I've gained, even, even if it feels that way, in the age to come, eternal life. I don't think it factually is that way, but sometimes you can't see it. In the age to come, eternal life. I'm like, like a man buying an engagement ring, checking, is this definitely worth it? You look forward to the life that is to come and think that is an infinite graph of gain. Let's pray together. I want to give you a moment, and um, maybe the Holy Spirit is laying something particular on your heart. You feel like you need to unvelcro your heart from that thing and attach it to Christ. I want to give you a moment to do that in silence and then I'll pray. Jesus, we have left all we had to follow you. Lord, what a strange lightness to, um, to detach our hearts from the things of this world that we thought were the best thing and attach them to you who is the best thing, the greatest treasure. Pray with, a, with, a, with an amazing lightness and joy we might climb into that life raft that you're offering us. We might remain in the life raft if we did that many years ago, but we're just content to be there still with Jesus. And pray, Father, that um, you'd show us the gain. Help us to be people of good news, of gospel, of gain. Amen.